Hello and welcome to El Club de Drama. This week we talk Maya, we talk Carolyn Flack, Lynn Cohen, Bond themes. I tell the story of Divine and Steph's got the story of Mama Cass. Stay tuned. What up, fam? Feels good, right? right? <laughs> yeah, I know it do. Yeah. And without further ado, we broadcasting live from CA to M. What is this thing about Maya? Maya's married. She is married to who? Yeah. She, that so she just announced that she's married uh-huh but she didn't say to who oh on some janet jackson shit yeah so she's been married forever or it's like a new i think it's fairly new because the picture she posted is from a vacation that she was recently on on an island uh-huh but she said officially mrs lang langsky and then that's it she didn't okay nobody know who's that it who that is or anything like that you know i like the way maya lives her fucking life dude oh i like maya yeah yeah huh good for her any any guesses is he like a, a billionaire or something i wish like on some eve shit yep exactly i don't know i hope no he's- i honestly i have no idea and she hasn't been linked to anybody like uh they were saying the last person she was linked to was some football player and that was like years ago mm-hmm and then the only other time you hear her with men is like her always denying like, no, I was not fucking that. I was not fucking G-Eazy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's fucking G-Eazy. Uh, well, good for her, man. Yeah. That's right. What, wedding. what island? I don't know. See, that's how you know it's too exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't Hawaii. It's definitely a billionaire. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> <laughs> the whole ass continent <laughs> island of australia yeah <laughs> oh pe- it's in east africa people are thinking now it's a gimmick for a music video mm. interesting okay so either way we either have a married maya or we have new music from maya which i'm here for either way yeah huh. good for her the teamwork we're watching represents one of many ways to build balance and poise along with skill strength and general physical fitness so in sad news caroline flack r.i.p yeah caroline flack host of or ex-host of love island who recently was in some uh domestic violence drama and then that's when she stopped being the oh it was that recent so that because that i remember us talking about it i don't know if it was on the podcast but we for sure sent it to each other and uh she was in a domestic violence she was arrested for domestic violence like maybe two months ago yeah fuck man 40 years old i'm so on instagram i'm sorry not on instagram on twitter somebody said take care of yourselves like reach out to people you love and stuff which makes me think that it's a suicide but they haven't confirmed the Mm -hmm. form of death um and she's now the third person from love island who shut up two contestants committed suicide following their stint on the show what the fuck yeah it's kind of scary dude oh my god um mike sala cetus from season four Mm -hmm. and sophie graden from season two damn i'm watching that one shit 
scary. For real, take care of each other. Yeah, seriously. She's pretty, like, I've only watched, I don't know, the first, like, quarter or maybe maybe even half at this point of the first season but she's very likable she seems like she's good at her job she's a good host yeah she i mean by all means not like had a good job yeah successful pretty mm-hmm. probably was doing well for herself yeah there's some, there's something there because that domestic violence thing mm-hmm. and hmm. scary yeah and magda also passed away I, let me stop calling her magda yeah <laughs> actress lynn cohen who was 86 years old um probably most famous for uh being on sex in the city for the last three seasons as miranda's miranda miranda's housekeeper slash nanny Magda. slash slash mother slash, slash mother yeah <laughs> she's how good is she in that role dude because she just so she, she really encompasses all of those things and does it effortlessly yeah and every time she shows up somewhere, I'm like, oh, it's Magda. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Because she was on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel recently. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Well, R.I.P. Love her. 86 years old, though. Yeah, that's a good that's a good run there. You did it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of other people are not that lucky. So mm-hmm. cheers to her. Here's one to build up those abdominal muscles. Okay, so did you hear the new Bond theme, No Time to Die? I heard part of it. Okay. So it's getting like incredible reviews. I heard it. I think it's I think it's a good Billy song. But what I want from a Bond theme are like the strings and like the huge orchestral feel. And I don't get that from this. It feels like a Billie Eilish song. No, I preferred Adele's Skyfall song. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. And it's th- way because more it gi- Bond. It gives you everything you want from a Bond theme. Yeah. And it's got like that very like... it like almost harkens back to other bond themes you know which one skyfall skyfall yeah yeah which i don't think we get from this and also you know how they like to incorporate the title usually if they can skyfall is much harder to incorporate than no time to die oh in the <laughs> right <laughs> how does she make that shit work <laughs> i don't know she's fucking amazing <laughs> i've been listening to that song on a loop actually since this song skyfall yeah <laughs> that's funny <laughs> how about those pictures you sent me of her Adele? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going on right there, but it's kind of scary. She looks mad. Yeah. Oh, she is mad. But maybe she's still going through it with her ex. Mm. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, people don't divorce all cleanly. (laughs) It's not clean. It's not clean when you are just regular schmegular folks. Oh, yeah. With with no assets. Yeah. (laughs) And they have a baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's probably trying to get rights to like some songs. About <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What's up, guys? Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Drama Club. My name is Stephanie. And my name is May. And this is a podcast about scandals, celebrities, mm-hmm. drama. Yep. Cheese Uh, Sport. <laughs> tv song just one song oh yeah no two songs because we talked about no time to die and skyfall oh that's true <laughs> and i was just telling oh well i remember jack white's with alicia keys yeah and i didn't yeah. like that one and i remember but then i remember chris cornell had one 
And that one's good, but it's similar to like how you're talking about Billy, where it doesn't really go with like uh, the rest of the Bond themes. Yeah. Yeah. Even Die Another Day, which is essentially a techno song, has like <laughs> has has like a break in it where there's strings, you know? Yeah. Is Die Another Day with um Madonna. No, but who was Bond? Oh, that movie? Um What's his face? Pierce w- Brosnan. Yeah. I was gonna say British as if they're not all British. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one with Hallie. That's what I was Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, shout out to Halle Berry in that movie. Just shout out to Halle Berry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a two-part episode for you guys today. And yeah. May, you're up first. Oh, I am. Okay. Yes, you are. Okay, I'm ready. The sun is confirming that she took her own life, by the way. Really? Yeah, but the sun is a tabloid, right? Is it? That's, yeah, but oh. so is TMZ, technically. Mm, yeah. 40 years old, she, she committed suicide. Is that common for a woman at that age? I don't know. I think it's honestly, I think it's getting more common at any age. Yeah. Hmm. Man, she looked great. Sorry. That's fucked up. But she did. Oh, she won their fucking Dancing with the Stars. What? Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Maybe she had some uh, substance abuse issues, you know? That's what what I was thinking. That's usually like what's going on in the background that you can't really see, especially when someone's high functioning. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. So I'm up. And um, this week, I'm going to do Divine. Ooh, child. <laughs> so for this, I watched the documentary I Am Divine, which is really great. Cool. You, is it streaming? If, uh, No, it's not oh. streaming. Or maybe it is for a fee. But also, I just searched Divine or I Am Divine Watch Online and then did a Google video search. It was like on page two. You know, I don't like going on page two of Google unless true, I'm though. looking for some illegal shit. Yeah, page two of google is the dark web all right so if you have any interest in diviner john waters i would absolutely watch it i think it was like uh it won awards like at sundance and shit yeah i was like why did i say i would do john waters and then i realized duh because you said you were doing divine (laughs) but he has no drama zero drama zero drama he's just a fucking weirdo (laughs) (laughs) there's no nothing dramatic about that though that would have been a cool uh twofer though twofer yeah that's what i thought yeah <laughs> all right so divine was born harris glenn milstead milstead maybe maybe milstead yeah divine is way better yeah <laughs> on october 19th 1945 in baltimore maryland wow but- <laughs> city of dreams right there <laughs> <laughs> but everyone called him glenn uh divine's what? parents well, because it was Harris Glenn. Oh, and, okay. And his dad's name was Harris, so he was like, I'll be Glenn. Okay. Divine's parents were upper, upper middle class conservative Baptists who had tried to conceive for about five years before he was born. Oh, she wow. had a couple. She had a couple of miscarriages there. So as a result, Divine says that he was basically your quintessential spoiled brat because his parents had wanted him for so long that once he was finally here, they just gave him everything he ever wanted that's cool good (laughs) for you dude (laughs) good for you recognizing that too that's so sweet though yeah according to his mother francis at 10 years old she took him to the pediatrician and the doctor told her that he was quote more feminine than masculine after the doctor told her this francis says that she cried 
And Baby Divine wanted to know what the doctor had told her that made her so sad. And she just told him, quote, Glenn, no matter what the doctor told me, you'll always be my baby and I'll always love you. Just remember that. Aww. Yeah. So we've got this spoiled little kid. And now his mom feels some type of way about making sure that he feels loved. So this kind of adds fuel to the spoiled fire, which kind of starts getting out of hand when the thing that Little Divine wants most of all was food. And he quickly became a very overweight, obese child. Okay. And then an overweight teenager. And his weight problem became a, uh, an issue that plagued him for the rest of his life. And of course, as we know, kids can be cruel. Mm-hmm. And young Divine was bullied pretty severely. He got beat up every day throughout school for being fat and for being effeminate. So he hated school. I mean, I do not blame him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have any real friends or social life, which led to him just staying home and eating, which of course became his coping mechanism. But at the same time, he became more and more ashamed about the way he looked. So it became this inevitable vicious cycle. He eats because he's unhappy and he's unhappy because he eats. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. In 1959, when he was in high school, he started dating a young lady named Diana. Ooh. (laughs) Dirty Diana. That's exactly what I said in my head. (laughs) Uh, I briefly had that song on my makeout playlist, but I took really? it off because, yeah, because uh, for a second I was like, oh, I like the vibe of this song, kind of sexy. But then Michael's voice is just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just didn't fit. Right. So, I say this because I love you guys. Don't put Dirty Diana on your sex playlist. There you go. So anyway, he ended up dating Diana until 1965. which Oh, is, wow. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. yeah. For their prom, Divine dressed, made up, and styled Diana's hair. And, and, and she says all the kids were envious of how good they looked, which made Divine extremely happy. Because this was like the first time that they're looking at him and his, and you know, by extension, his date and thinking like, wow, you know. At 17 years old, after his parents sent him to therapy, he first realized his attraction to men. But I think he was still working out his feelings towards women. He was still dating Diana, of course, and I don't mean to participate in bi erasure. It's just that years later, he explicitly used the homosexual label to describe himself. So I just want to make sure I use his preferred term. So he never thought of himself as bisexual. Looking back. Right. He's he's gay. He's just young. Yeah. He was Mm -hmm. just trying to figure it out. Right. For a little while, when he first got really famous, he played it sort of coy and would sort of imply that he was maybe bisexual, but that kind of didn't last long. And he uh, fairly soon thereafter stopped leaving room for interpretation and was openly gay. Back in 1963, he graduated high school and attended beauty school. Mm -hmm. Then his parents set him up with his own salon. And that's sort of where he got into the quote unquote gay scene because a lot of the hairdressers in Baltimore at that time were gay men. And that whole community was basically underground at the time because there were laws that targeted homosexuality. Right. And basically up until this time, Divine had been trying to pass as a preppy sort of straight edge square. So he hadn't really been exposed to this scene very much, except through his neighbor from six doors up the street a little freak named john waters what (laughs) like planets aligned 
uh-huh. for them to be neighbors, right? Yeah, yeah. Because really, they're soulmates, right? Like that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So John and Divine were the same age, and they were both crazy into movies. So they would always see each other, like at the movie houses, seeing the same old movies and stuff. So they were acquaintances, but remember that Divine was kind of a recluse and he would right. just be at home eating. eating. So they yeah. so they weren't really like friends, friends. Mm-hmm. But then in their later teens, when Divine started coming out of his shell, that's when he and John really became friends. And finally, when Divine started dipping his toe in this underground scene of gays and outcasts and weirdos and artists, his friend John was already all up in that mix. So it became a lot easier for him to fully jump in since he actually knew someone there. Right. John says that this is when Divine finally found his people. So that was like the nail in the coffin for the kid that wouldn't leave his house. And now, on the contrary, he would never come home. (laughs) So now Divine and John and their friends, all these freaks, which is like their word. One of them in the documentary was like, we weren't hippies. We were freaks. Right. Anyway, in 1964, these freaks are doing what freaks do. They would smoke weed, drink, do LSD, shoplift everything and whatever they were fucking hooligans divine would throw huge catered parties at hotels in baltimore for all his new friends and have the bill sent to his parents and then he'd (laughs) intercept the bill and rip it up oh my god (laughs) so finally when like the creditors would show up like at their door (laughs) he would swear to his parents that it wasn't him (laughs) this happened enough times that they made him take a lie detector test and he passed oh my god (laughs) first of all that's scary that is scary (laughs) holy shit john waters says quote that's acting (laughs) another guy in their crew was a dude named david lockery if you've seen any of john's very very early movies you'll recognize him well david was divine's drag mother so he put him in drag for the first time divine says he had never even heard the word drag before he met david Divine's girlfriend, Diana, says that they were going to a costume party and Divine didn't want to tell her that what he was going as, but he locked himself in her room with David for hours until finally Elizabeth Taylor walked out. (laughs) Until that time, Diana says that Divine had been sort of leading a double life, like his square daytime life with her and his freaky nighttime life with the outsiders and these worlds never really collided. Mm -hmm. But by the fall of 1964, it seemed clear that Freaky Divine was the real Divine. And that part of his life swallowed up the other part. And that's when they slowly fell out of touch and eventually broke up. Okay. So Divine started competing in drag balls as Elizabeth Taylor. But since he was overweight, he wasn't really winning. Since, you know, these balls are like super serious and competitive. So he started to resent the seriousness of it and started adopting a different drag persona, almost a borderline spoof of drag. So he would wear tiny little outfits and his belly would be hanging out and shit. Mm. And by 1966, John encouraged him to explore that more. Sort of like, okay, let's rethink what drag is and like what it can be. Right. Meanwhile, John had recently been given a camera for his birthday and decided to film a party that Divine was throwing which he probably wasn't paying for. Mm. (laughs) John cut together all three reels of random footage from the party and projected them onto a screen at the same time. And that became a short film called Roman Candles. (laughs) 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 While making the credits for Roman Candles, John was like, well, how about we call you Divine? Since he'd been reading a novel that featured a character with that name. 
And that's where the name came from. It was literally just that. How about divine? Okay, sure. Which is wow. Like, so cute to me. That's yeah. That that's something so iconic can come out of like nowhere, just like yeah. that. Divine says that after that, John and the Freaks started just making movies for themselves, not thinking that anyone would ever see them. They just were having fun and wanted to make each other laugh. And their little crew of freaks became known as Dreamland Productions. <laughs> their next project was another short film, 1968's Eat Your Makeup, in which Divine played Jackie Kennedy in the iconic pink suit and pillbox hat during the assassination. Oh, God. <laughs> To the Dreamlanders' knowledge, this is the earliest spoof of the Kennedy assassination. And John says that people were not amused. Right. It, it was very close. The wounds were still yeah. fresh. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Uh, last night, I randomly watched the Mad Men episode where Kennedy... Oh, Kennedy dies? Dies, yeah. Yeah, remember how Betty's all upset and John like sets her, sends her to bed? Yeah, exactly. Like, get away from the kids. Oh, isn't it... Um somebody's daughter's wedding it's jo rogers it's, uh, rogers daughter's wedding yeah. <gasps> and like nobody goes right mm -hmm. oh my god you know who's really pretty rogers wife the well oh, both of them like his, his real, real life wife, wife and, and also the the younger one yeah so i started looking at her i did not realize she's only a year older than us yeah she's young that's she's beautiful anyway what i was what i wanted to watch was the episode where the uh dick whitman thing comes to a head with betty oh that's when he's still with the teacher i hate that whole... yeah 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 so i wanted i turned on shut the door have a seat which is the season finale thinking that that's where it happened but i was wrong so then i went backwards one which is the one with the kennedy assassination and it wasn't that one so i went backwards one more and that's the one i was looking for mm. all, all three of those episodes are amazing though yeah oh that whole season is amazing yeah and that's the my next favorite season, season. Mm -hmm. yeah just the whole, the whole damn, the thing. whole fucking show. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I do hate the teacher storyline, though. Like, I like that's a point where it's, I start to hate John. Don, sorry. It, it's so fucking messy. She's messy too. The teacher. Why would she you do is that? Fucking messy. That's yeah. ugly. It's disgusting. Yeah. And I just like I don't know what it says to me about how because I have this idea of like how Don loves Sally. But then yeah. he does something like that and then it like kind of brings it back to reality that he's just a piece of shit. He only loves himself. He, oh, only, no, he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't even love, love himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. I re really hate that story. Like. It's funny that you said that because in one of those episodes he's like is watching Sally sleep and then mm -hmm. he gets in bed with her and just hugs her. Yeah. Like and if you love her that much then what's the, what the fuck is wrong with you? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because in the dick whitman storyline betty's like oh you divorced that woman on valentine's day 1953 and i was like it's valentine's day oh <laughs> world's colliding okay so uh yeah so that was like the earliest spoof of the kennedy assassination and it was like it was not cool i guess <laughs> 1969 brought their first feature-length film mondo trasho in which divine played the leading lady the film didn't really have any dialogue, but was shown at underground screenings across the country. Needless to say, these are all experimental movies. Um, the shorts were made for budgets of literally $30. Mondo Trasho was made for $2,000. These are all extremely small art films being shown in basements of gay bars, gay clubs, and the occasional art gallery. 
So just keep that in mind when I say that, like, if they're screened across the country, it's probably not what you're thinking. Their next film, 1970's Multiple Maniacs, brings them all kinds of attention. The $5,000 feature, among other things, includes scenes of Divine being anally penetrated by a rosary in a church, eating someone's organs, and being raped by a giant lobster. It is a lot. Uh, I saw it for the first time <laughs> this year, like around New Year's, and I'm still confused. If, if you've never seen a John Waters movie, they're all subversive and avant-garde, I guess. And like when I was a kid, I loved them because they were just fucking weird. But then as I got a little bit older, I was like, well, this is, it's, it's art. It's radical. It's counterculture. Uh, it's obscene. Yes. It's trash. It's, but I don't know. It makes you question like whether or not it is arts, which makes it complicated. I don't know. And I think that's what I like about it. Yeah. It's not for everyone. Absolutely not. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think they're interesting. Anyway, so this fucking insane movie got them a lot of recognition in these underground art scenes across the country. So now Divine is all in. He shapes his head and his eyebrows to make it easier for him to get into drag. And this is when his parents flip out. Mind you, they don't know that he's a drag queen or a performer. They just think he's fucking weird. Oh. So, <laughs> so he comes out as gay to them and tells them about his use of drugs. And his mom says, well, if that's how you want to live your life, okay, but forget you have a mother and father. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's so sad because it seemed like... They were loving. Yeah. And and they even got him his salon. Right. And I don't know. Anyway, and that was that was it. He stopped speaking to his family. When was... What year was that? This was back in 70... In 1970. Wow. So... They became estranged, which is probably for the best, at least for a while, because I don't think those poor square whites could have uh, wrapped their minds around what happened next. Right. So Divine and John travel to San Francisco because a lot of the films are now generating some buzz as midnight movies there. Mm -hmm. And they had a big counterculture scene in San Francisco where, of course, they would embrace people like them. For the trip, John asked one of the Dreamlanders, hair and makeup artist Van Smith, to do something different with Divine's look. Quote, maybe give her a weird hairline. So Van had Divine shave only half of his head from forehead to crown, and then he drew the brows up and back towards the top of his head. And that's the moment they created the now iconic Divine look. Right. And in San Francisco, Divine was a celebrity. They put together a little stage show before the screenings, and people ate that shit up. Divine was billed as, quote, the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> she is. <laughs> and the performance was very much the precursor to what drag shows are today. She would come out, she'd insult people, she'd do comedy, sing, dance, whatever, and her public loved her. So that's when Divine moved to San Francisco because, shit, that's where the of bad course, was at. Of course, yeah. <laughs> also, creatively, it seemed like a good place for him. But it was more of a party scene, which maybe wasn't so good. He got super into quaaludes around this time. Oh. Which, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. He was already, at that point, a major pothead. He'd smoke weed all day, every day. Damn. There's really, truly no need to add ludes to that mix. Seriously. <laughs> so he's out in SF doing his thing, but he still flies out to Baltimore to do movies with the Dreamlanders. And the next one, 1972's Pink Flamingos, would become an important part of film history and change John and Divine's life forever. Forever, ever. 
all because of one scene. Long story short, among other things, at the end of this movie, Divine eats dog shit. Real canine poop, literal woof woof feces. <laughs> <laughs> the scene became infamous, the stuff of legends. Word of mouth spread across the country about the existence of this scene, and people flocked to midnight screenings to see to see it out, out of either morbid curiosity or just to say that they had seen it. It's like Brown Bunny. It's exactly like Brown Bunny. Like, it's not necessarily a good movie, but people just want to see the scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually unsimulated oral sex in this movie, too. Oh, Divine, really? Divine gives head to this dude. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The dude is soft, by the way, so it's not even... What? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. This is so weird, May. I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes you and I are connected on this other level because there's a lot of things in your story that are already like really similar to the story i'm gonna tell oh okay but um tell is there me a soft why... dick in it <laughs> no tell me why this morning i was on a reddit thread about people talking about blowjobs and this girl was like i like when it's soft in the beginning and everybody was like who's soft girl, in the what? beginning <laughs> yeah and i was in my head i was like what like and now you're saying that and i'm like what the fuck is happening today uh john says that it's because the guy she was giving head to was straight. Oh. And they and they were homies also. So he was just like, <laughs> it was just fucking awkward. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I would die to meet John Waters. Oh, me too. I yeah. might scream or like shriek or something if I saw him. I just want to like hear him tell stories and ask him questions. He's seen some shit, you know, like, oh, yeah, love him. Is John into drugs and stuff. Or Drugs? is it just the rest of the Dreamlanders? He said, like, when he was young, he would do fucking everything. Okay. Because it, it was just, it was the 60s. Right. And, like, that was its time. And he's really into poppers. Like, I think that's his drug of choice. Famously, he has, like, a refrigerator full of poppers at his house. Okay. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, he's not, like, an addict or anything. Right, right, right. So, anyway, people would flock to the to midnight screenings to see Pink Flamingos. And uh, people would sometimes literally vomit during the screenings, which in typical John Waters fashion, he said he considered a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me nauseous just thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I yeah. watched it this week. Oh. <laughs> the film was picked up by New Line Cinema, who distributed who distributed it. St- distributed yeah. it. That is a weird thing to say. We and it had quickly... it distributed. Oh, yes. There you go. And it quickly achieved cult status, very similar to the phenomenon we'd see just a few years later when the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out. But they, like, took it to the next level. Anyway, for better or for worse, now Divine was a for real celebrity because he ate feces on screen. Yeah. (laughs) John says that... Stuff of legends right there. Exactly. John says that people would always, like, ask him... Like, John, why would Divine do that? And he was like, it was just a little piece of shit and made Divine a star. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just impressed by, like, the commitment to the art at that point. Right. They're just making, they're literally making movies for each other. And, yeah. And he's like, I'm an artist and I'm going to do this. I was sensitive about my shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Divine says that in the script, which he'd had for, like, a year, but it, he's he read it, but he thought it was a joke. Then the day came and John was like, are you ready? And like, he just fucking did it. (laughs) 
The scene, of course, later became the bane of Divine's existence. Everywhere he went, people would ask him about it. Every single interview, fans would come up to him. People would bring it up at parties. It eventually all became too much, and later in his career, he refused to talk about it. Oh, Yeah. Of course, like, because, of course, you want to ask about it, but right. how many times do you want to talk about that shit? All right. But in the immediate aftermath of Pink Flamingos, John and Divine became some of the hippest people in the country. Andy Warhol wanted to meet them, and they became a part of the scene at the factory. That's cool. They were They were the toast of the art world. And more films followed, including 1974's Female Trouble, in which Divine played a woman, as per usual, and for the first time, a man, and the two characters have sex at one point. Oh. Yeah, it's a fucking trip. Divine is really pretty in this movie, by the way. She's, um, I read that she was styled after, do you remember that famous uh, Diane Arbus photo that's like the family in Brooklyn where one, like the woman... The mom almost looks like Amy Winehouse. Oh, yeah. I was going to say she looks like Amy Winehouse. She styled after yeah. Amy Winehouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Divine moved to New York and did a play called Women Behind Bars and another one called The Neon Woman, both off-Broadway, where a lot of huge stars flocked to see him perform, like Grace Jones, Mick Jagger, Liza Minnelli, and Elton John. This is also around the time that Divine became a fixture at Studio 54. Because oh, yeah. why course. not? Yeah, yeah. So now Divine is making some money, making dash money, and spending it just as quickly as it came in, and then some. All of his friends talk about how generous he was. He'd always, like, send them and their kids presents. Like, he just loved to make people happy. Like, that's, he lived for his friends and his art, and, like, that was it. Like, you will not find a single person that ever says anything bad about Divine. He just seemed, like, the best. He came from a good family. Yeah, it's, it's really true. shitty that they didn't last, but I know. Unfortunately, all this like what that that need to make people happy and like to spend money on them, that led to him falling deeply into debt. Ooh. Also, his weight continued to balloon out of control, and it wasn't helped by his heavy use of marijuana. People talked about how he'd eat a dozen donuts and a liter of Diet Pepsi as an appetizer before <gasps> dinner. May. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Or sometimes he'd just pull up a chair, like, in front of the fridge and just start eating. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so he's definitely, obviously, addicted to food. Right. And most likely addicted to shopping as well. And so, unfortunately, he's filling voids or trying to fill voids with food and stuff. But guess what? You're never going to fill that shit. This is when, partially in need of money, partially just to try something new and explore new creative ways to express himself, Divine starts recording music. Again, totally trailblazing the career path of a lot of today's queens. So in 1982, he cut several disco and disco-adjacent records that were club hits, particularly in Europe, including the singles Native Love, Shoot Your Shot, and You Think You're a Man. I didn't realize Shoot Your Shot was such an old... Uh, phrase yeah yeah he might have coined it i don't know and divine hit the road working his ass off on several grueling tours over the next several years to promote his music career during these tours divine's team started to worry that the physical stress of the work would cause divine to have a heart attack because it's like you're putting on what like an hour and a half two hour show every night in a hot sweaty club and you're dancing and like it was a lot for someone who was maybe like 350 pounds at this point. Yeah, seriously. Maybe, maybe more. 
After another film with John called Polyester, Devine was in his first non-John Waters film called Lust in the Dust, again in drag. On the set of this Western, which was shot on location in the desert, Devine's poor health began to become really obvious to everyone. He was carrying more weight than ever, and he would constantly overheat and pass out. (gasps) Oh my god, May. Yeah. Or he'd just, like, fall asleep. They were saying he would fall asleep in the makeup chair. He would fall asleep, like, between scenes. He would just, like, his body was just giving out. He got good reviews, but he was dying to be able to get out of drag and do more or any male roles, really. Uh, he finally got a real opportunity in his second non-John Waters film, 1985's Trouble in Mind. But unfortunately, that film flopped, so no one really got to see him. That sucks. And he became very depressed. Also around this time, Divine's parents were feeling really guilty about how their relationship had ended, but Divine refused to speak to them. His mom had to often ask John's mom, just to get word back to her that he was alive and well. Oh, that's shitty. I feel bad because there's a lot of pressure at that time for like his parents who maybe if it was a different time, they would have been more accepting. Oh, for sure. You know, especially because you said they were like upper middle class. Yeah. So they totally made a mistake in their reaction to him coming out and his lifestyle and everything. But should they pay for it forever? Like if they try to right. move on, like, but then John, I mean, I mean, not John, um, divine, like the scars are so deep at that point. Right. Like, yeah, for it's, sure. It's like, fuck. I think it was less about, I think they just wanted him to get his life together because like in their eyes, like he was just spiraling, you know? Right. Like, Maybe less about the gayness, more about like the drugs and yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> Eating shit on a film. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because remember when his when for some reason his doctor outed him, <laughs> his mom was like, well, I fucking love you. you yeah. know? So yeah. it was. Yeah, it's just it's a sad. Yeah, why did his doctor do that? <laughs> that was so this weird. Fucking, his pediatrician was like, you know, your son is gay, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking weird. <laughs> so anyway, uh, one day Divine's mom saw a young man reading a magazine and she saw John Waters name on the cover. So she bought the magazine, which had a woman on the cover, and she noted how much the woman like looked like her son, Glenn. Oh. So she took it home and showed Divine's dad. She was like, who does this look like? And he was like, it looks like Glennie. Oh. <laughs> so that's how they discovered Divine. Oh. So after this, they saw that one of John's films was starring Divine was playing at one of their local movie houses, and they went down to see it. And as they were buying tickets, they were told... Listen, guys, this probably isn't the movie for you. You don't want to see. You don't want to see this movie. <laughs> Maybe pick something else. And Divine's mom started getting like agitated because she was like, "No, I want to see it." And the person selling the ticket was like, "No, you really don't." Yeah. And like, she started getting agitated. She said, like, she basically screamed. She raised her voice and was like, "I do want to see this movie because Divine is my son." And then she said she was mobbed by a bunch of young people in the in like the lobby. And they started asking for her autograph. And Aww. like that's when she realized like how big of a deal Divine yeah, was. Seriously. She finally managed to get Divine on the phone. And his parents told him that they were proud of him. And the family reconciled and became closer than ever. That's so great. I'm <laughs> gonna cry. I'm so I, tired. I wanted to cry because John said that when Divine went home, there they put up a sign for him that said, Welcome home, Divine. 
Oh. And he was like, that that changed the game. That's when he knew, like, oh, this is my family. My family loves me and they're proud of me, like, for real. And, like, that's why they were closer than ever, which is, like, the sweetest thing I've ever heard. That's great. Next came. Too many feels. <laughs> the amazing. The incredible. The iconic. 1988's <laughs> Hairspray. Hairspray turned out to be John's first almost mainstream film. And it was certainly his least offensive up until that time. Ironically, though, this was the first time Divine was in one of John's movies and wasn't the star. This time he played Edna, the mother of the star, Ricky Lake's pleasantly plump teenage character. He did, however, express sadness that he was unable to play a dual role as both the mother and the daughter. Oh That's my what gosh. he wanted to do. <laughs> and Ricky says that, like, the first couple days on set, like, you could tell he, he was, like, kind of hostile towards her. He was, like, <laughs> fucking mad. But he, she says that after, like, two days, he became her mother and that, like, he was, like, the sweetest person ever and that she he would always ask her to go eat with him. Yeah. <laughs> After the premiere on February 16th, 1988, which is also today. Oh, no. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. After the premiere on February 16th, 1988, both he and the film got great reviews. This is one of my favorite movies, and Divine is really sweet as the mother. Mm -hmm. And Ricky Lake is just like, it's something that it's Ricky Lake, right? Like, yeah. It yeah. just kind of is exciting. I don't know. It's so exciting. How The fact that they found Ricky. like, Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's a it testament to who John is. Yeah, exactly. I always, uh, I, I used to have the DVD and the the audio, the director's commentary on that one is so fucking good. I have to find it. Dude, and I miss director's commentaries on DVDs. Too. That used to always be so dope to listen to. Dude, and I would end up watching movies like two, three times. Me too. Uh, if Netflix did that and raised the price, like, I don't know. If they doubled the price, I would pay it. I would too, yeah. If well, you had I'm not paying it because I, I, I steal your Netflix. <laughs> I would encourage you to pay it. Drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real, if they have, if you pay double, because I mean, that's a lot of work to get that. Like, yeah. I, I would pay double to get that. I remember, but I remember them saying, or I remember Ricky saying like, she saw a flyer at her school she was going to like Syracuse or like NYU or something. And it said, we're looking for big girls who can move. Yeah. And she was like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so tight. Anyway. So and the movie became not just a cult classic, but a solid hit. Yeah. Obviously later, years later, spawning the even bigger hit long running Broadway musical and musical film. But at the time it also broke John and divine through to the mainstream. Normals actually knew who they were now. And they, along with the rest of the Dreamlanders, were ecstatic and proud. So now doors started to open for Divine, and now he had the confidence after this success to walk through them. Everyone who knew him said that he was the happiest he'd ever been. Divine immediately booked a gig to guest star as a man on the hit TV sitcom Married with Children. This oh, was wow. Like the, this was, Married with Children was huge, huge at the yeah. time in 88. And he had to report to set three weeks after the, re the release of Hairspray. He spent all of March 7th at the studio rehearsing, then went to dinner with his friends before retiring to his hotel room where he died in his sleep just before midnight of an, en of an enlarged heart. I'm so sad. He was 42 years old. Oh, man. So young. Really, really young. Really sad. And it, 
three weeks after the release of Hairspray, like he didn't even yeah. really get to enjoy his success. Right. Or maybe maybe he did because like it was like the talk of the town, you know, just really, yeah, really sad. Uh, Divine's funeral attracted a crowd of hundreds that came to pay their respect. John Waters gave the eulogy and Whoopi Goldberg sent a wreath that said, quote, see what happens when you get good reviews. (laughs) (laughs) The IRS auctioned off most of Divine's possessions to pay off his back taxes. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Divine's legacy will, of course, be that of one of the most important and influential drag queens in history. Yeah. He was famously the inspiration for the character design of Ursula in The Little Mermaid, which is, of course, iconic. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, people travel to Baltimore to have sex on Divine's grave, (gasps) which John Waters says Divine would have loved. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) What the fuck, man? People are fucking weirdos, dude. Yeah. Isn't it cold out there? I know. (laughs) Yeah, those dicks are definitely soft. And that's the story of the icon, the queen, Divine. Well done. That's such a great one. <laughs> I love that photo. That photo shoot in particular, I think she looks so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, she had two English bulldogs named Beatrix and Klaus. Aww. And there's and there's pictures of them. There's like a, a great magazine cover that they did together. And they're like adorable. So cute. That's super cute. Oh, good job, babe. Exercise builds good health. Okay, and now I'm up. Yes. I'm going to do the story of Mama Cass. Ooh, yes. Ooh, is there eating in front of a refrigerator in this one? (laughs) Well, I was thinking. See, I told you the stories kind of go along. Um, I've been been dying for us to do a... uh, uh, mamas and the papas one because there was like a time where like every single story we were doing had some sort of connections to them yeah there's a lot of mamas and the papas in this just inevitably yeah um but anyways i watched her e true hollywood story and a biography episode on her and then i read uh rolling stone articles about her there's a great one after she passed that they wrote where they break down her whole life and everything oh awesome so mama cass cass elliott was a folk singer known best for being a member of the Mamas and the Papas. Her real name is Ellen Naomi Cohen, and she was born on September 19th, 1941 in Baltimore. Hey, good morning, Baltimore. Uh, Is she Jewish? She's Russian and Jewish. Oh, okay. And uh, her childhood was tough, as she says her family was very poor. Her dad was kind of like a handyman, but he ended up doing... But pre- he never rode his motorcycle into a tornado. He did not, no. <laughs> he was just somebody that would like do whatever to make money. Uh-huh. And then he ended up kind of settling down when he started a lunch wagon business to serve construction workers, and that ended up doing pretty well for him. Oh, snap. Yeah. She had a younger brother and a sister and grew up in Virginia before they ended up moving back to where she was born in Baltimore when she was 15. Mm-hmm. Ellen began going by the nickname Cass in high school after actress Peggy Cass. Hmm. She then put the last name Elliot together based on her real first name. She became interested in acting in theater while in high school and dropped out in order to pursue a full-blown acting career in New York City. Wow. She formally changed her name at age 19. Cass said that her parents didn't support any of these decisions, but ultimately they were like, okay, well, you know what? Go five years go out there try to make mm-hmm. it and if it doesn't work out promise to come back and finish school which she said she did she should have just like you could finish high school right you know yeah <laughs> it's just like people get like ants in their pants oh, right 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 
For those of you who don't know, Mama Cass was overweight. I don't know how people wouldn't know that about her, though, you know? Right. It's yeah. almost like, I don't know. <laughs> they go hand in hand. There you go. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like a trademark. I wrote it right here. Almost like a <laughs> yeah. trademark, like when we see a few other great female sig- singers who are heavier. Mm-hmm. She was pretty unapologetic about it and brave at that time to be out there alongside the real folk singers that were so popular in, right. you know, what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She first got a gig touring in the musical The Music Man in 1962. Oh, and cool. So she's actually fucking doing it. She was fucking acting, dude. Damn. And then she got an audition for I Can Get It For You Wholesale. And I guess she made it all the way to the end before losing out to Barbara Streisand. Holy shit. Yeah. So she was doing fucking good. Oh, my God. She wasn't focused on singing. She just wanted to act. But she always got attention for her voice. So uh, she just inevitably started focusing on that. Right. Later that year, she moved to D.C. and she met a fellow singer by the name of Tim Rose. And along with another singer, John Brown, they began singing together around town as the big three. Isn't it weird, though, that they went to um, that D. she C. went to D.C.? Yeah, that seems random to me. Yeah. They released huh. their first record on FM Records in 1963. And in 1964, they went to New York and did an open mic at a bar in Greenwich Village Mm -hmm. where Cass found a thriving folk scene. Yeah. She immediately got the fuck out of D.C. and moved to Greenwich Village. (laughs) Girl, that's what you should have (laughs) done. Right. And this reminded me of when you said that Divine moved to San Francisco. Like she was like, oh, here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. This is where I need to be. Joan Rivers talks about living in Greenwich Village at the time because she and Cass were friends and she said that they used to go out and drink at all the bars watch live music joan would go do a comedy set what the fuck and they were having like the time of their lives i want to be friends with them right imagine imagine it's like an open mic and Cass is like all right i'm gonna go sing and then joan is like all right i'm gonna do a couple jokes right how fucking dope oh do you think that joan like made fun of her for being fat i'm sure she did but i'm sure it was like like in a gentle like a playful way yeah like only someone like joan could get away with jokes like that yeah because she's somebody that always makes jokes like that which i think people don't get when they start shit talking Mm -hmm. like you have to be (laughs) someone who shit talks yeah you can't just randomly throw some shit out there and then not expect (laughs) someone to get offended you know what i mean right right (laughs) so almost immediately after he joined the band jim got drafted for vietnam Mm. He found out that he would be able to be exempt if he was a newlywed because he was the only male in his male son in his family. Yeah. These fucking rules. I know. And so Cass was like, I'll marry you. So they did. They got married. Oh, shit. Okay. But it wasn't romantic at all? Or? It wasn't romantic. It was never okay. consummated or anything like that. And later uh, on, they got it annulled. Okay. Tim Rose ended up leaving the band in 1964, so platonically married Cass and Jim teamed up with these two other guys they met, Denny Doherty and Al Yanofsky, to form mm-hmm. a band called The Mugwumps. Yeah. The four artists sang in harmony behind folk music, and they were so fucking cute. If you look up pictures the, of them, you're just like, oh my god, like totally transformed to like this period in time, you know? Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers approached the band to sign with them, but only under the condition that Mama Cass be taken out of the band. No. All they wanted were the three boys because they wanted to market a Beatles rivalry. Uh. 
But but, what, but why do you need another Beatles? That's what the Beatles are for. Because these people are dumb. Yeah. Mama Cass had feelings about it obviously being linked more so to her appearance. Mm-hmm. And this became like this huge rift in the band and they ended up breaking up after this. Oh. So for a while, Cass moved on as a solo act. Mm-hmm. But her ex-bandmate, Denny Doherty, met this dude by the name of John Phillips. There you go. And his wife, Michelle. Mm-hmm. And they started a band together called the New Journeyman. John was really hesitant. Like, Denny right away was like, we should, my friend Cass sings so good. Like, we mm-hmm. should have her join our band. But John was like, no. He considered it his band. And yeah. the main thing, obviously, is that he didn't want her in the group because she was too fat. Yeah. Like, and and he wanted Michelle in the band? He did want Michelle in the band. Okay, so he was like, if anyone's going to like fucking be the girl in this, it's going to be my fucking wife, right? Right. Yeah. But Cass had like whatever. She was friends with Denny, so she would jam with them and mm-hmm. she could tell that the four voices together were really something special. So mm-hmm. she just kind of kept following them around <laughs> and shit <laughs> until finally they asked her to join officially in 1965, famously when they were all on vacation in the Virgin Islands what is this life that she's leading this they're is just amazing like, yeah they're just <laughs> straight up hippies dude yeah this is like one of the first tall tales about Cass elliott that i've heard um okay. is that she said okay people say that Cass's vocal range was improved by three notes because she was hit on the head by a copper tubing <laughs> while walking through a bar in the virgin islands <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> Cass herself confirmed the story to rolling stone magazine <laughs> Saying that she was walking through a bar and this fucking copper pipe came and hit her on the head, knocked her to the ground. She suffered a concussion and stayed in the hospital with a headache. Suddenly then when she was released, she says she was able to sing higher than she had ever been able to. What the fuck? Isn't that so ridiculous? Damn. What singer would you want to hit on the head with a copper pipe? (laughs) Mariah Carey. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Actually, something similar happened to what's Ted Danson's wife's name? Uh, I don't know, but I've been that's funny. I've been watching Career Enthusiasm so much. Yes, <laughs> and, she's great on that show. Yeah, uh, Mary Steenburgen. Steenburgen. Okay. Uh, one day, like she woke up and she could play instruments and write songs, like something that she would never do before like she was just like i guess i'll play this guitar now what the fuck man (laughs) i think she was nominated for a golden globe for her music somewhat recently what is that crazy yes that's ridiculous (laughs) or like those people who wake up and they could speak a foreign language or maybe not speak a foreign language but like yeah they suddenly like fucking no conversational french or something yeah yeah yeah. so random (laughs) Oh, okay. I like the way your bangs look right now. Oh, fuck. It was just like moving my hair around. <laughs> okay. So now that Cass joined the band, the group wanted to come up with a new name. One day, while they were all watching TV, a Hell's Angel was being interviewed and said, some people call our women cheap, but we just call them our mamas. Hey. To which Cass replied, I want to be a mama. And then <laughs> Michelle said, yeah, we're the mamas. And then John said, well, I guess we're the papas. And that's how they got their fucking name iconic it's like the divine thing yes yeah that's amazing then michelle said they all got super wasted and cass and john passed out (laughs) 
Denny Doherty said that after Cass and John passed out, he and Michelle started what would become a long sexual affair. Oh, okay. Cass was very, very upset when she found out about the affair between Michelle and Denny because she was madly in love with Denny. Aww. And they were friends, but she had always, always wanted more. And Denny said that Cass proposed to him one time when they were like hanging out, just the two of them. And that he never even like responded to her. Like he was just like quiet and like they just like moved on. That's so sad. Um, In this interview I saw of him on uh, True Hollywood Story, actually, he Mm -hmm. was he's old, obviously like way older now. And Mm -hmm. he was like, I was a stupid boy. I was so young and. I know that a lot of me couldn't just get past that she was 300 pounds, but Uh. now I recognize that the relationship that Cass and I had was love and it was special and you don't find those kinds of relationships often. And like, he totally regrets not trying to date her. But sometimes like when you're friends first with somebody, you just can't get your mind out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that, but I'm sure, uh, you know, like he said, I'm sure, like, the weight was an issue. Like, he probably, if she was traditionally beautiful, I'm sure. he would have given it a shot. Yeah. But Cass was doing all right. She was out on the scene, living in Greenwich, partying with her friends. Allegedly, Jim Morrison was always sleeping on her fucking couch. Hey. And shit. And when the mamas and the papas started putting together their first album, she was the only member who was really interested in putting on a full-blown show not Mm -hmm. just be a rock star. So she was the one that gave extra attention to everybody's hairstyles, everybody's clothes, and, like, would, like, tell everybody, like, let's do some dance moves and stuff, you know? Because she's an actress. That's what I was going to say. She comes from the theater, so she's, like, in her mind. Yeah, she's seeing, like, the big picture. Right. People consider Cass to be the most charismatic of the mamas and the papas, Mm -hmm. and obviously her voice stands out. Yeah. Their album dropped in 1968 and was a collection of bops <laughs> from California Dreamin' to Monday Monday, Words mm-hmm. of Love. They won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Performance by a Group and were nominated for Best Contemporary Song and Record of the Year. Ugh, I wonder what wins Record of the Year. Above them? That year, yeah. 1968? I don't know. Because, you know, 1968, okay, you if any time, when someone mentions the 60s, immediately my head says all the leaves are brown (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh um mrs simon and garfunkel mrs robinson that's another that's another like 1960s one i mean that's true that one's the oscar too i think so the band went on tour and kept recording to meet the terms of their record contract John, at this point, had found out about Michelle and Denny's affair. Uh-oh. And after, you know, a long time, he decided to forgive her. But while working on their second album, Michelle met Gene Clark of The Birds, and she started having an affair with him. Oh, God. They need to meet Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what is it with these dads at this time? Why That's are they such weird. drama? <laughs> John then was like fucking furious and he was like, no, I'm firing her from the mamas and the papas. And he got together with Mama Cass and Denny and together they met with their attorney and served her a letter expelling her from the band. What the fuck? On June 28th, 1966. Jesus. That's crazy, right? That's fucking crazy. You're going to fuck the bird? I'm going to fuck right. I'll fuck up your whole career. (laughs) What? What is the bird's big hit? 
I don't know. They suck. They suck. B B Y R D S, right? Yeah. They're corny, uh, I feel like. Turn, turn, turn. Mr. Oh, Tambourine Man. Everything. Turn, turn, turn. This is some 60s ass shit. Yeah. The this this episode is brought to you by uh Forrest Gump soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> soundtrack fucking slaps yeah oh no it's so good yeah okay so whatever they broke up with michelle but that shit didn't last she was gone for like half a year before they let her back in the band for a tour the mamas and the papas were noted to be mostly high, drunk, and falling while on stage. Yo. Except for Mama Cass. Oh. And they got a lot of criticism for that. While in London, Mama Cass was prosecuted for stealing linen from an apartment hotel she was staying at. The fuck? She denied the claim and the charges were dropped as there was no evidence. Later that year, when she returned to London for another show, she said to the crowd about the sheets, quote, I liked them, so I took them. <laughs> Hey, I see it. I want it. I got it. <laughs> That's uh, After fumbling through that tour, they got to work on a third album, which has no real bops. Okay. This year, Cass became pregnant, and she never publicly identified who the father was because she was, by all means, single. I, you know, I guarantee you it was like she fucked one of her friends or something. Like it, Jim Morrison was staying on her couch or something, and they fucked. Yeah. Okay, no, listen. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> On April 26, 1967, she gave birth to her daughter, Owen Vanessa Elliott. Years later, after Cass has passed away, Owen wanted to find out who her father was mm-hmm. and ended up discovering that it was American blues musician Chuck Day who mm-hmm. had played bass with the Mamas and the Papas on several occasions. Uh, Unfortunately, by the time Owen found out who her dad was, he was already passed away. Oh. Yeah. Owen Elliott is a really cute name. That is a dope name. In 1968, Cass was approached to headline a solo show in Las Vegas, Nevada by Caesars Palace. Oh, I would go see the shit out of that. The proposed three-week engagement was set to net her $40,000 a week, which is about $300,000 a week in today's money. uh, get your motherfucking paper. Buy all the nice sheets. At this point, no, stop buying cheese. (laughs) (laughs) No, sheets. Oh, sheets. I think said cheese. (laughs) Cheese. At this point, Mama Cass was weighing over 300 pounds and she felt a shit ton of pressure because it was like a solo show and Vegas was hella glamorous and all this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's out there at that time? Like Cher? Exactly. Fuck motherfucker Cher. Yeah. So she went on a six month crash diet in which she lost 100 pounds. Holy shit. Cass said that this diet led to her getting an ulcer and that ulcer led to her eat, drinking a lot of cream <laughs> and, and regaining about 50 pounds in two months what? and being bedridden for three weeks. Girl, do not cre- drink cream. Why are you drinking? But you know what? I, I mean, it is it is embarrassing because she's 300 pounds and she's drinking right. cream, right? But I, I think in like the 60s and shit, they probably did tell them like, if you have an oh. ulcer, have cream. 
Yeah, for sure. They would be like, stop drinking coffee because coffee causes, causes ulcers yeah. or whatever the fuck. They didn't know what the fuck they Put were doing. Put a pinch of salt and cream and warm it up and then eat it or whatever. This is... <laughs> <laughs> All the leaves are... The <laughs> and the cream is warm. <laughs> Uh, this is also some immigrant shit. Like, this is something my grandma would say. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, Cass is missing rehearsals for her show left and right, and the Caesars people are basically putting together a show without her. Oh. Ooh, this reminds me of the movie Judy. Yeah. she. Oh, they need to make a Mama Cass movie. They do. It's funny you say that, because Cass performs at the um, London Pal- Palladium? Palladium? Palladium, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, uh, it, I was just thinking, also... Because you said that she was in that band, The Big Three. So I started thinking of This Is Us. And I was like, homegirl, Chrissy Metz could play her. Cause oh, yeah. She totally could. She could sing. Yeah. Um, oh, and she sings, right? Yeah. Oh, She right. she sang at the Oscars, remember? That's right. I don't think For I some watched reason. that one. Yeah. <laughs> so Cass got through one run of the show and kept drinking tea to try to recover for opening night. On October 16th, 1968, Cass's solo show was sold out to 950 guests, including Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Jimi Hendrix, Joan Baez, Liza Minnelli, and Maya Farrow. Holy shit. Yeah. Mia Farrow? Mia Farrow, sorry. It's because we're talking about Maya earlier. <laughs> Maya. Hold on. Why? I, I mean, obviously, she's an amazing singer, but like, can you imagine Frank Sinatra? Like, but like, maybe because this- Sammy was there. And also Mia. Yeah. And Mia's young. Yeah. So, yeah. Mia sent Cass flowers to her dressing room. Backstage, Mama Cass developed a fever. She felt pressure, though, to make the show happen. So she got up there and tried her best. But she completely fell apart during the performance and the crowd started getting pissed. No. And if you see pictures of her from the show, it's really sad because mama Cass is overweight but she's not sloppy like Mm -hmm. she is bohemian and like the folk music scene like you know but on the stage for this show she's sweaty like she looks just bad yeah this is like when divine was on tour and everyone was worried at the end Cass ended up walking out to just apologize and try to perform her famous cover dream a little dream of me to very light applause but Everybody was pissed. And during the second performance of the night, most of the crowd just walked out. Oh, shit. That's so fucking sad. Also, that song, her cover of that song is a fucking, it gives me chills. It's amazing. Um, So obviously what was supposed to be this gigantic opportunity for her as Mm -hmm. a solo artist turned out to be a huge blow to her career. Yeah. The reviews were fucking rough. Some of the headlines were Mama Cass is a disaster, a sinking of heroic proportion, embarrassing trash. They kept they kept calling it like the Titanic, which I thought was kind of fucked up because of her weight. Yeah. As soon as you said sinking, I was like, that's that's a dig at her at her weight. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. And she was already she was 50 pounds lighter than she was before. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) After one night, Caesar's Palace closed the show. Holy shit. Mm. They should have given her a chance. Yeah. I mean, you already spent the money on the fucking show. Yeah. But so another pretty obvious thing that we're going to that's happening with Mama Cass is obviously we're heading into the late 60s and 70s. And guess what? Most fucking rock stars are known for around this time. Drugs. Druggity drug, drug, drugs. We're talking mm-hmm. heroin, mushrooms, mm. dope. 
<laughs> Stop smoking that dope. Smoking that dope. <laughs> After all the reviews from the concert came out and everything, mm-hmm. the big rumor was that Mama Cass was a heroin addict and that mm. a lot of the drama leading up to the show was not because of any weight loss or sickness, but because of her heroin use. Where are we in time? No, I, I, there's no way you can answer this question, but All right. has, has, any, has anyone died already? You know? Uh, uh, 68? I don't know. Like I don't think Janice, so. Jen. Jimmy. No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um. Okay. David Crosby, who was a fucking like one of her best friends mm-hmm. said that Cass later admitted to him that she had shot up right before she went on stage no so she was fucked up david crosby also later wrote in his memoir that he and mama Cass always shot up together and she was oh. super into heroin and pills uh which wow. they would do all the time together and he was overweight he liked to eat too so yeah they were yeah, like, yeah. i saw david crosby driving a three-wheeled car that's day. amazing that's how you want oh i would like to see him on a unicycle you know what i mean <laughs> and i was like first because first you notice a three-wheeled car and you're like huh. what the fuck? and yeah. then i was like is that <laughs> imagine that <laughs> following the debacle with the vegas show mama Cass fell into a deep depression mm-hmm. But she ended up landing a TV special in 1969 called the Mama Cast Television Program. And then she kind of resurfaced around this time as a regular guest on TV talk shows and variety shows. She was on The Tonight Show, Hollywood Squares, The Andy Williams Show, and The Carol Burnett Show all the time. Yeah. She was one of, like, the main people that would always come on Hollywood Squares, actually. Uh Uh-huh. She would sing covers of some of the best classic songs. And she was just totally fucking mesmerizing and likable. Yeah. The Mamas and the Papas made one more album in 1971 to very little hype and the band broke up for good and Mama Cass then just completely pursued her solo career. Her biggest hit of her solo career was the cover that we're talking about, Dream a Little Dream of Me, where she really shines, especially when compared to the prior recordings of the song by Nat King Cole. Mm -hmm. It was originally an upbeat song, but Mama Cass completely transformed it by slowing it down and adding her like mellow voice. It's beautiful. I'm getting chills again. I haven't, I'm not even listening to it. No, literally go listen, listen to <laughs> yeah. that and listen to Adele Skyfall <laughs> <laughs> and listen to, uh, all the needs are bad. <laughs> at the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, that's it. We're going to have to make a 1960s drama club playlist. <laughs> that's true. That's it. Ooh, don't get me started. No. Oh. <laughs> Also, we're going to get high. <laughs> we're going to make a playlist <laughs> for sm- you guys. We're going to smoke some We're going to smoke some dope cigarettes. <laughs> also, we're going to drink some cream. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot up some heroin. Whoa. Dude, I got some cream in the refrigerator. I'm going to try it just to try it. I have cream also. I don't drink it like that. Like. I mean, I put it in stuff, right? I like, put it in stuff. I put it. I made in a like a sauce. Last night yeah, with it. yeah. Exactly. I put some in my coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Also, in 1971, she married her short-time beau Donald von Weidenman. Oh, don't marry that guy. Donald was heir to a Bavarian barony. Oh, never mind. Don't ask me what that means. <laughs> I, I feel though, as I feel as though people who call themselves baroness and mm-hmm, baron mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. likely not as much money as you think but have like the ego of someone with a lot of money 
Oh, yeah. 1,000%. Immediately, I was thinking of Zsa's husband. And I was thinking of one of the real housewives of New York. Countess? Yes. Oh, she's a countess, huh? Is that similar? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't Count- know. Countess? Whatever. Baron- it sounds like Baroness. it's in the same fucking family. Yeah, you ain't shit. Yeah, she wasn't shit. <laughs> she made a fucking song that was a, Wait, not a back. Actually, though, so does that mean that Mama Cass is now Baroness? Baroness. Mama Cass. That's tight. I fucking love that movie with Angelica Houston and uh, Drew Barrymore, Ever After. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Cinderella? Yeah, it's so fucking corny and good. Hey, did you see the trailer for the new Wes Anderson movie? Yeah. It seems like a mashup of all the Wes Anderson movies, which is what I want. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I just... I always... I love his cast always. It's like Mm -hmm. always the same people, right? But I like especially love when there's kind of like an outlier and I didn't really see an outlier this time. Mm, like somebody that's yeah. not always there, like somebody unexpected. Throw Keanu yeah, yeah. in a movie. Keanu can't be in a Wes Anderson Keanu movie. Keanu can't act. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was walking with my friend the other day and this homeless man goes, hey, there go Keanu Reeves and Keisha Cole. Give me a dollar. <laughs> and then he was like hey you know i gotta give him a dollar for calling you keisha cole and i was like i well i got the short end of that sick that's true that's kind of rude it's so rude yeah i mean i like keisha cole's music i guess i just don't think i look like keisha not that he that's the end like it's always brightly colored it was a very lazy uh thing to call you he didn't think hard on that one he didn't think hard on keanu reeves too i'll tell you that much Okay, so she married this Baron, and don't get too excited because they ended up getting divorced in three months. Oh. But at this time, Mama Cass is still the fucking cool queen of L.A. because now she's mm-hmm. moved out here because she this oh. is where Hollywood's at. Yeah. And her house in Laurel Canyon was the spot for everybody to party, including Ooh. her BFF, Joan Rivers, who also had moved out to L.A. by this time. Joan lived in Laurel? Joan was partying and living in Laurel. Oh, shit. Eric- I was thinking Manson. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Clapton, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Joni Mitchell. She had the who's who's a friend at the time. Yeah. She was pop. She started really acting in the 70s with roles in movies here and there, both as a singer and just as an actress. Oh. She yeah. was then pursued to head into the cabaret circuit by her manager. That's smart. They put together an act called Don't Call Me Mama Anymore and debuted in Pittsburgh on February 9th, 1973. Because by this time, you guessed it, she fucking hated that nickname. Oh, uh, yeah. She liked Cass. Obviously, like, that's the name mm-hmm. she chose for herself. But she didn't like mm-hmm. the mama connotation. Mm. The show did really well. And Cass wanted to give Las Vegas another go. Kind of like for redemption. Yeah. So she linked up with the casino, The Flamingo, and put together hey. a show. And she did fucking good. Yo. Uh, like, finally, she put on the show that everybody knew she could. Yeah. The reviews were super high. People were like, she's not Mama Cass anymore. And it was selling out night after night. Wow. This gave her play around the casino scene. So she did shows at a few other casinos. And then her show went on tour around Miami, Puerto Rico, and finally London. On April 22nd, 1974, while still in L.A., Cass was set to be a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. She collapsed while inside of the television studio before she got on stage. No. She was sent to the hospital and released with a diagnosis of simple exhaustion. Oh. She then appeared on The Tonight Show on May 7th, and she confirmed the exhaustion diagnosis and just kind of made jokes of it. 
Did you see this week that video? It was real scary of, um, I think it was the Boston Bruins versus the Anaheim Ducks. Um, so hockey, obviously, uh, where one of the players collapses on the bench and they have to come out and do use the defib- defibrillators. May, no. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, it was super scary. And then, like, they stopped the game, obviously, and uh, they took him to the hospital and he had, a, like, a heart, a, like, a, like, a mild heart incident is what they called it. Wow. That's scary. He's fine now, I guess. But, wow. Yeah. But it was real scary because, uh, r- emotional, too, because you see him sort of, like, collapse and then you see all his team obviously is like calling people like come 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 help and then everybody crowds around him right wow i'm gonna check that out um after she appeared on the tonight show she also appeared on the mike douglas show again confirming her exhaustion diagnosis and this turned out to be her last television appearance (gasps) this is in 74 74 Uh uh-huh in the weeks leading up to her death Cass completed a two-week gig at the london palladium in the Soho area, known for Judy Garland's very famous performances. Yeah. Dude, make this, make the Judy movie this. They should just do it. Yeah, that'd be tight. Yeah, because this is what the Judy movie is like, the three weeks she did at the Palladium or whatever the fuck. And then her death. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, it doesn't go into her death, but it's like this comeback show where she's doing these like, you know, these set of shows. Yeah. So Cass was living in London with her friend George Caldwell. She was super proud of herself for landing and pulling off the two-week gig in London, and she was feeling really good about where her career was at. The shows were getting standing ovations, and they were selling out on some nights and everything. That Sunday, she attended a cocktail party at her friend Mick Jagger's house. Guests say that she was not drinking the night of the party. Mm -hmm. And Carrie Fisher, who was also at that party, wrote in her autobiography that Cass hadn't been drinking and she left by herself Mm -hmm. home. That night, Cass Elliott died in her sleep at age 32. No. According to her autopsy, she suffered from heart failure and there were no drugs in her system. Four years later, the Who's drummer Keith Moon died in the same room at yeah. the same age. Yeah, super weird. Jesus. Right? I know. I got chills. Oh, God. I love the Who also. <laughs> Cass was laid to rest at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles. Following her death, numerous songs and TV shows have been dedicated to her honor and contribution to music, especially the folk music scene. And there is a gigantic urban legend about Mama Cass's death, which I'm going to leave out of here because May covers in a very (laughs) early episode of the Drama Club uh, as an afternoon delight segment. And that's on the Tupac episode Murder Over Pastrami. So go listen to that (laughs) if you want to hear about the urban legend regarding her death. Oh, yeah. And that's the story of Mama Cass. Dude, awesome. So many parallels with Divine. So many parallels, May. Oh they both God. died in their sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Super That's, crazy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, take care of yourselves. Right? Is like the takeaway of this episode, I would yes. say. Don't sit in front of the refrigerator and just shove food in your mouth. Food and cream in your mouth. Yeah. I mean... It, if the cream is in the food and the portions are small, perhaps, <laughs> and you're not sitting in front of the refrigerator. There's something so, like, telltale about, like, there's if you're sitting in front of the refrigerator, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, guys. Well. 
thanks for listening this has been the drama club hit us yep. up on instagram and twitter at drama club pod on the website dramaclubpod.com on the hotline 505-539-0556 leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts send us a postcard to our p.o box and send us a tip if you like what you're hearing on hey. <laughs> on our website we'll talk to you guys next week bye bye however whatever with your helmet